This is Safe Zone, the podcast by OHS Canada, the national occupational health and safety magazine published by Annex Business Media. You've tuned in to hear conversations with Canadian safety professionals on the latest in OHS trends and research. episode is brought to you by Hoisting Limited, safely delivering full-service overhead cranes and material handling solutions with expertise, professionalism, and dedication to exceeding industry standards. For more information, visit hoistingltd.com. Hello and welcome to the Safe Zone podcast. I'm your host, Marcel Vanderweer, editor of OHS Canada. I'm joined today by Doug Clark and Kevin Toms of Hoisting Limited in Edmonton. Doug is the company's president and CEO, while Kevin is the service manager. Welcome, Doug and Kevin, and thank you both for joining me today. Good morning. Thank you. Today, we'll be discussing industry safety standards in regards to heavy equipment, specifically overhead cranes. During this conversation, we'll touch on aspects such as compliance, safety, productivity, and unpack best practices when it comes to inspections. Overhead cranes play a significant role in the production capability for many companies and can become an operational risk without a compliant-based inspection. So Doug, Kevin, let's hear from you. What type of risk management issues do employers face when it comes to the overhead crane industry? Well, I think that the first thing that we always talk about uh, from a uh, risk management perspective when we're talking to our customers is obviously we want to start with, we always start with a safety aspect. So the safety aspect of uh, what we do is always important and and it's nothing new to industry, but it's certainly at the core of everything we do. So we start with the safety and compliance side of things. So we really want to make sure that the equipment that's being used is safe, that your uh, employees are going to be safe that they're using it. And as well, then we get into the compliance side of it as well. So through our inspection process, uh, we focus on making sure that there's that safety aspect but then as well that we're compliant with any provincial governing bodies that might have the oversight in your jurisdiction. Thanks, Doug. Uh, Yeah, what about you, Kevin? Yeah, I fully agree with what Doug's saying, but also we like to, both the employees and the owners of the equipment, I find a lot of the stuff that they really don't understand are some of the training requirements for this equipment and proper use and care of it. They know, how to, they know how to use it to lift their loads and do their day-to-day routine, but they don't know why or, or how it can actually affect them short of dropping the load. There's, there's all kinds of issues going on behind the scenes that they're not fully aware of. It's not their area of expertise. Obviously, inspections play a large role here. So let's talk about that. Um, how often should a company complete an inspection for this type of equipment? It's Kevin again, I'll jump in first off. So one of the ones that's missed right off the bat when it comes down to inspections are there's a few different types. There's a pre-use inspection that's required on most of this equipment. And generally it's at the start of every shift for that piece of equipment. So for instance, if we were doing eight hour shifts, I'm shift one, I'm actually supposed to go in and do a bunch of function tests on the equipment to make sure that something didn't happen to it on the shift before me. And I'm not aware that, you know, the limit switches aren't working or, you know, down doesn't function properly. So I have to go through that as the employee on the floor every day, pre-use every shift. 
So if you're running 24 hours a day, eight hour shifts, that could happen three times in a day without even calling your crane company. Then we get into the, the periodic or annual inspections. And basically their outcome of that requirement is one by the manufacturer, but two, it's really driven by the amount you use the equipment and to the capacity you're using it. As in, is it 100% loaded four hours out of eight? Is it 10% loaded? So that can really vary your requirement for maintenance, much like driving a car. The more you drive it, the more you need oil changes, the more your maintenance intervals pop up. I could drive, you know, I could need one oil change a year and Doug could drive a million kilometers in a year and he needs one every month. The same goes with this heavy equipment. It's all usage-based. One of the things that uh, we add or to add on to Kevin's comments is that's why we really focus during our process on the uh, original equipment manufacturer's uh, uh, guide or owner's, owner's manual. manual. Thanks, Kevin, that are, is included to gauge how often that needs to be done based on the, the frequency of the use or, or the particular application for the equipment. So we don't just come in and, and hoisting decide when we're going to do the inspection or the type of inspection. We want to refer back to that owner's manual and specifically determine how frequently we need to be checking the equipment. Do you guys want to talk about, about logbooks as well? Uh, where does that factor in? Is, is that significant here? Yeah, I'll start off, uh, it's Doug, with the, the logbooks. It's usually our starting point with the uh, inspection process. Uh, in particular, if it's a, uh, a new uh, location for us or a new piece of equipment that we're looking at, we want to see that logbook so we know, uh, to Kevin's point earlier, about the pre-use inspections. When was the last uh, you know, periodic inspection done or annual inspection done? What did they look at? Were there any issues that were called up? What's been resolved? Uh, do we see the engineering documents for the equipment? Is that owner's manual available? So there's a bunch of things that we would check with. So that, that is our starting point uh, for us anyways, when we, in particular, when we come into somewhere new is we want to start with the logbook and kind of, you know, determine what needs to be done from there. Yeah, I'll add to that, Kevin, again. Um, a, lo a lot of this logbook information we actually prefer that our salesperson going in to meet with the client before the technician even shows up on site is reviewing their logbook and going through it to make them, help them, I shouldn't say make them, help them understand what's required in the book before my tech shows up and just flat out fails your crane for no owner's manual. It's, it's hard for my technician to know and how to adjust a hoist brake on hundred thousand different models out there without the owner's manual. So that's critical to our technicians being able to properly do the inspection rather than just going, well, I think it's this. Well, I don't want to think, I want to know. I want to know what that adjustment is. I want to know what the minimum and max is. And I want to know if it's safe or not. That you don't want to just go by memory. There's too many out there. There's too many different products, too many different variations of that equipment to for anybody to even know every single individual part. So the logbook is, I would almost say it's the most critical part of the crane inspection. When it comes to these inspections, uh, what is the first thing you might review with, with your customer uh, on this? 
Again, I think that when we go back, it's it's kind of that starting with that process with the the logbooks and going through it. If there have been issues that were identified in the logbook, or in some cases, to be honest, the logbook isn't even available. So we we would start there and then kind of go back again, depending on what province that we're in and what area they're covered on. But we can refer back to the CSA standards that cover what a logbook should include. And we can kind of start there and then build that up and start with that. And then obviously we get into the uh, to the annual inspection, which is a process that we would go through where there's a kind of a step by step service that we go through to make sure that you know the, the crane is compliant based on the, the requirements for the safety standards. Yep, Kevin again add to that as well. The the logbook in most most variations, most provinces, a lot of owners, employees don't know or realize that the the practices or the, the law actually that the logbook follows the crane for its lifetime not for your ownership, my ownership. And a lot of cases we'll go to a client site that's just moved into a new building, the cranes are already there, and the old owner has removed all the logbooks from site or destroyed them. So you have no previous history of what's happened to the equipment. If the original engineering even matches the building, people will add other pieces of equipment on the same runway, won't recheck the engineering and you get the original logbook and you see that the shop was only designed for one crane on the runway 20 years later there's eight on there and no update on engineering that's big issues big problems can happen from that just from you know the age old well it was like that when i got here well that doesn't matter you need to know it's fit for use today not what it was 20 years ago that's an interesting point kevin and I kind of want to just ask you, like, obviously you both have a lot of experience in this field. What might be some of the more common issues that the two of you come across in these inspections? Can, can you talk to that? Yeah, it's Kevin again. Um, again, scenario, same scenario will stay on with the multiple cranes on one runway. 20 years ago, let's say that system was designed for, you know, 10 tons in that one space between supports. Well, now all of a sudden you can get three cranes in that same space, all with maximum load. So you can actually overstress or even lead to a failure on the runway system just by not knowing that there's only one crane allowed per bay. So that's super common. Uh, probably the next highest failure rate we have on our inspections is original engineering. One person, will, one company will build the crane Another company will build the runway and a third company, the builder, will build the building. Well, nobody will look at all three and mash them together and make sure that the building can handle the crane load and the runway that's put on can handle the crane. They don't talk to each other. It's not, it's not normal standard practice in anywhere I've ever seen that the builder of the building does all. They always farm it out to different people, part it out. Sometimes they do their own runways. Sometimes they have other people's do it. It's, it's a real mix mash of information. So obviously the inspections again, play a, a massively important role. Doug or Kevin, what do you feel, what should a company be looking for when evaluating a crane inspection company? What, what do you guys think about that? It's Doug, I, I think that one of the main things to really look at is the experience of the people that are doing the inspection. 
So the we we refer to them as crane technicians. Others might call them crane inspectors, but it really de depends on the experience that they have and the qualifications that the people that are actually doing those inspections have. So uh, that's covered under the CSA standard that uh, that we use. Uh, it talks about the number of hours of experience, and in most cases, but not required, they have journeyman tickets as electricians or millwrights. So there are some qualifications out there uh, that you can refer to when you're evaluating a crane company. I would also suggest that companies really look at the documentation process that they provide. What are they? What 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 type of report are they providing to you in the end? And then also, you know, what type of review is done at the end of the inspection process? So it, you know, we don't want to simply see uh, our technicians going and doing an inspection and then kind of dropping the paperwork and running out the building. Our process has the technician meeting with whoever's responsible for that equipment reviewing the report with them, talking about any issues that we might have, any possible solutions and those sorts of things. So we're, at the end of the day, you know, I think that it's a matter of, you know, making sure that as the, the owner of the equipment, that you understand who's doing the inspection and their qualifications. And also, I guess, to kind of add on to that, uh, not related to the inspection, but also related to the operation of the equipment. Do you truly understand who's operating your equipment and have they as well received the proper training and certification to do that? Yeah, I'd like to add to that a bit too also. Um, probably common misconception, the way we are with trades and journeyman tickets and stuff in Canada and qualifications, to the best of my knowledge, provincially, there is no certified crane journeyman ticket out there for overhead crane repair inspector people. It doesn't exist. It's, a, it's an amalgamation of hours and other experience to deem a person competent. There is no specific training course to say after five years in the trade and passing this provincially recognized exam, Kevin's a crane inspector. There's no such thing. But that term in our industry is used very loosey-goosey where you know, are certified inspectors. Well, certified by who? There is no certifying body. It ultimately comes down to what CSA says are some of the requirements for a technician. Yeah, we also make sure through, through our process and kind of what we do is based on the experience that we have in house and, and Kevin's experience and Kevin's qualifications and training that he has is ultimately when we go through it, Kevin will, Kevin goes through our process and anybody that's going to be doing these inspections ultimately is supervised through our service manager and also deemed competent to do those activities by, uh, you know, in our case, Kevin uh, as our service manager. Now, internal training courses, OEM training courses, we'll even send them out of country to other training facilities around, you know, in the US and stuff. There's a bunch of good overhead training courses provided. So you try to fill the holes of your technicians based on those training. The best, the best info you can give them, they become better technicians. Yeah, from what you shared, it definitely sounds like experience is a, is a major factor as well, um, which you guys seem to have. So to summarize what, what we've discussed today, I'm curious to what type of advice you would want to leave with companies that, that use overhead cranes, especially when it comes to safety, training, inspections, anything, you, any kind of lasting message you'd like to get across? 
Uh, from my perspective, I guess, and probably talking more to, uh, you know, the safety side of things and the management and risk management side of things, my advice would be to go down and find out where your logbooks are and have a have a peek in the window and see what's being being done with your cranes. Who did the last inspections? Was anything called up on them? And were any actions taken to resolve them? I think that that's a, a fairly simple approach to kind of getting a, a quick overview of maybe what's going on with your overhead equipment. Yeah, and I've got another one that'll probably make the crane industry hate me, but uh, if, it, if it were my piece of equipment, I would take the inspection form provided by my inspector and I would compare it to what the owner's manual says is required at what intervals, because in our industry, a lot of people have gone and made nice Excel spreadsheets of things to check off. They've made generic check sheets that don't line up to the specific piece you're inspecting. So some manufacturers will have components that have to be changed at an interval, like every year or every four years. Well, a generic check sheet won't catch that. So if the technician or person reviewing the logbook is not cross-referencing their checkbook to the owner's manual, you're already lost. And the sad part is the owner of the equipment is responsible to make sure that the technician doing the inspections knows what he's doing. Not the company doing the inspections, the owner of the equipment being inspected. It's your car, you're responsible. A lot of them don't realize that. Kevin, in terms of the penalties that, that would come from a failed inspection, what what are they? Is it simply uh, equipment that, that's not able to be used? Is there monetary issues as well? There can be both, but generally, in my experience, if we're talking, let's go to two sides here. There's the owner of the equipment being failed, or is it the technician doing the work, not doing it properly? So if it's the owner of the equipment, OH&S in most cases isn't looking to shut down employers and stop them from doing their day-to-day -day routine. They're more than willing to work with you and make sure that you've got what you need. And it's very rare that I've seen OH&S ever walk in and shut a client down immediately. They'll generally say, are you showing any form of due diligence? Where are your records? Has this been called up last year or, or are you continually getting it called up for the last 10 years and you've never done anything about it? Well, now you got a 30-day compliance order to get it fixed. End of story. But in my 20 plus years, 25 years in Alberta in this industry, I've never seen OH&S walk in and lock a client's building down and shut them down on the spot. Short of fatalities, pardon me. That's that's an automatic cease and desist, but that's a those are the extreme cases, and that's a whole different ball game than general annual inspections or, you know, maintenance requirements. I think one of the one of the things that has to be you know companies need to be aware of as well is that a lot of what we do, and again, getting back to our initial discussion on safety and compliance and making sure that employees are are safe or customers are safe, but at the end of the day as well what what we what our goal is is we're going to make sure you're safe make sure you're compliant but then more than anything we want to make sure that your company's productive so we want to we want to do all of this and there's a reason for it there's the the theme of safety and compliance but really we understand that for most companies their crane is a is a very active piece in their production so 
un unplanned downtime, unemployed, uh, unplanned stoppage of work, those sorts of things. Um, that's our job, our responsibility to work with the customers to make sure that doesn't happen. And if you're not compliant, and then to Kevin's point, uh, an, in an inspector comes in and says, you know, this crane is not compliant, not fit for use. Well, we don't want that happening to our customers either. So, cause that's, that's downtime that maybe stops a load from being shipped or whatever it happens to be. So, you know, we, we always start with safety, but you know, we, we, it, it does come down to productivity for the customers as well. All right, Doug and Kevin, thank you so much for sharing your expertise today on overhead cranes. From all of us at OHS Canada, stay safe. This episode is brought to you by Hoisting Limited, safely delivering full service overhead cranes and material handling solutions with expertise, professionalism, and dedication to exceeding industry standards. For more information, visit hoistingltd.com. Thank you for tuning into Safe Zone, the podcast by OHS Canada. To hear more of our episodes or to find the latest workplace safety headlines from across the country, visit ohscanada.com. Thank you.